Hey, what is going on, guys? I am Paul Ryan, your host of the Across the Cowboys podcast. This podcast is part of the Across the Board Sports Podcast family. If you're new to the show, thank you for joining us. And to our regular listeners, welcome back. With me, as always, is my co-host, the greatest co-host in the world, Mike the Pig Crumb. Mike, how are you? I feel like I'm not the greatest co-host in the world right now. I, I did a shout out to a bunch of other podcasts and called Brian Broadus and 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 Jeff Cavanaugh's Trust the Tape podcast. I called it Tale of the Tape. Oh, God, Listen yeah. Every episode of that podcast, if you've seen Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood, I seriously feel like Leonardo DiCaprio in that scene. <laughs> Nobody knows you practiced your lines and you practiced them. I felt just like that. I was like, now everybody thinks I'm like, man, I, lo- I literally love Trust the Tape. I cannot believe I put Tale of the Tape. God, I'm embarrassed. Yeah, I actually saw that tweet and I was surprised because I saw you apologizing to to Broadus. Like you're like saying this is as bad as the Mike Parson, Micah Parsons called. And I clicked on the original tweet and I'm like, he called it tell the tape. Wow. I can't believe I did. Like it was early that, you know, sometimes they forget I'm West Coast. So like I sent that tweet, you know, it's like 6 a.m., no coffee. And I'm trying to get all the podcast in and that one doesn't have an app. So you're trying to like, okay, put it in, tra- and you just, you know, tail of the tape, such an old, that, that it just, I don't know why it like popped in my head and I put it in there. And when he put that, I was like, trust my podcast culture. I go, I put the name of the podcast on there. And I went back and read my tweet. I was like, I am in, so embarrassed, dude. Oh my God. And I'm going to go to, and now in my mind, like they're not going to, I've been on with Jeff Cavanaugh. He probably doesn't even remember me. Like he does. Uh, but in my mind, I'm going to go to Oxnard <laughs> this year and they're going to be like, oh, the tail of the tape guy. Yeah, there he is. And I'm going to be like, no. Hey, if they do say that, you should be consider yourself lucky, right? That's That would be actually pretty. I, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past Jeff to do that just to screw with me. But. But uh, if Brian did, I would be like, oh, my God, he remembers that. I'll, I'll take it. I would be like, okay, at least he remembers who I am. Hey, the fact that he even, you know, uh, quoted you is pretty cool, dude. Yeah, I did it twice because after I apologized, he was like, it's cool, man. No big deal. And I, and I told him, I was like, nah, dude, I deserve to be dragged for this. This is so bad. I was like, it's, oh, God. You know, for somebody of Brian's status, he's actually pretty pretty active, like, with the quote teats and the retweets and everything, dude. I love Brian, and he's great. Like, he, people think, because, like, he doesn't get everyone right. He's he's a Super Bowl-winning scout. He is great at scouting. Like, yeah. he's awesome. And, yeah, everybody gets, people get shit wrong all the time. That shit happens. He, you know, uh, I thought Micah Parsons was the fourth best linebacker, dude. I mean, like, if you took that take, you should never listen to me again. But I also am right a lot. Like, I've, I've nailed some of them. So, you know, it's, you got to hey, go. Yeah, he might be the fourth best linebacker, but he's probably the best football player, right? He's – and I and can I tell you all, like, I love him. Like, his attitude, his mentality. Like, I, I don't know if I started a team – I might, and it has nothing to do with the, forget it. Even if I love them, just, just from after the draft on, forgetting about what happened pre-draft, just how he plays on the field and his attitude and how he approaches the game. He's my favorite football player. Like by, like there's no one in his vicinity. Like I just love, like coming in at 6am with Dan Quinn, like, all right, I got shit to do. Like 
6 a.m. Like, like, can you imagine he's gonna be he's gonna have an all, whole offseason to learn stuff? And he might have been the best defensive player in the league. And he and guys, I don't care how talented you are, he doesn't know shit right now. Yeah. He doesn't know shit. Like he hasn't seen it yet. He doesn't, he would probably tell you like the game goes too fast for him, but he's such a freak that it looks like he plays it faster than anyone else. Like he, it looks like he's anticipating when he's probably a step behind. We just don't notice it because of how talented he is. Like, I am so excited, man. There's not a, there's, there's not a, like, I love Dak Prescott. He's second. He's yeah. like, Michael Parsons is the only reason I keep Prescott first because he's a quarterback. Otherwise I'm not taking a single player over Michael Parsons. I think he's that kind of, of, of player he, he's just man he's he's amazing i know it's only one year but my uh micah parsons to the uh, cowboys ring of honor is looking like a like a good prediction sir bro just just put him in now i don't even care yeah. do it before the second season starts health knock on wood health <laughs> you know we're, we're gonna discuss it here in a little bit man i can i can't imagine if he's like the the focal point of this defense, what his numbers will look like in year two, dude, with Dan Quinn back again. Man, Dan Quinn coming back is going to be – I know we talked about it before. It's going to be enormous for him and oh, Golston yeah. and Osa and all the guys that are with – boss man, all the guys that are within a one- to two-year window that are young and, and upcoming, having mm-hmm. that continuity is going to be incredible. Absolutely. Well, Mike, we were talking about uh, Twitter. We are talking about quote tweets and retweets. Let the people know where they can find you, sir. Right there on the screen for y'all on YouTube or watching the video at CD Piglet. Nice and easy. Letter C, letter D, Piglet. Guys, I'm Paul Ryan. You can find me on Twitter at Paul underscore Ryan 15. Well, Mike, here it is. We are uh, on our regularly regularly scheduled program, Monday, of course. And before we discuss any football, let's talk a little bit about Meatless Monday. What was on the menu today? I went meatless for everything but dinner. Dinner, my buddy got pizza. And I'm not going to make them get cheese pizza. So I just took a couple slices. So I broke it at the end, whatever. But I had a really good lunch. I did uh, zoodles with sliced garlic, cherry tomatoes, red pepper flakes, some really good mm. olive oil that I bought. Um, so and and then I made this pesto that was from the reset, but it was so good that I don't think I'll ever not have it in my fridge. Like I would just always have some of that in there to where if I make something, I could just put pesto on it. So yeah, I um I I had a uh, it's zoodles with tomatoes, garlic, and then I put the pesto over top and a dash of some olive oil. It was man, it was good. I'm curious about this pizza. Are we talking Little Caesars or what are we talking here? No, they got uh, me and Ed's. I think it was. It's good. What happened is, Denny, uh, as you know, we talk pre roll. You know who Denny is. He came over and asked me to order him a pizza. Um, he was gonna be. Uh, by himself at home and I said yeah no problem so I order it to my house and I take it over because I don't want you know people to know he's there by himself so I uh, got the pizza and when I was doing that our our roommate was like hey uh, get me something too and uh, get the house something so I ordered for here I ordered for there and uh, had it all delivered to the house so yeah it's just just um one was double pepperoni extra cheese and the other was uh pepperoni sausage and Canadian bacon. And then they got like garlic breadsticks. 
it was okay. I'm not really me and Ed's and pizza and those don't really do it for me. That's why I was like, I'll just take a couple slices or whatever and, and have it. So I don't have to worry about making anything or doing anything. I, sh I go shopping tomorrow. So the truth is the real, real truth is the zoodle dish took up all the rest of my vegetables and I haven't yeah. had time to go to the store. And so I need to get cauliflower. I need to get mushrooms. I need to get more tomatoes. I need, I need that stuff to make a dish for meatless Monday. And I didn't have any of it. You know, back to that pizza. Are you a big fan of like the all meat pizzas? Yeah, Pike's Peak from Mountain Mike's is really good. I really like that. Uh, Mountain Mike's is fantastic pizza. If it's anywhere in your area, whoever's listening to this, that's really good pizza. A little expensive, but it's really good. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anywhere else I get all meat? Really, that's it. The Pike's Peak is, or if I get Papa Murphy's that you take home and bake, mm -hmm. I, I'll get that with like a stuffed pizza with the all meat, you know. So I get it occasionally. Yeah, Papa Murphy's is pretty clutch, and their stuffed pizza is really good. It is. Papa Murphy's, man, don't get no fake take and bake. You go somewhere else, not always that great. But Papa Murphy's, as good as get letting them cook it and deliver it to you, Papa Murphy's is that kind of good pizza. Yeah, my wife and I used to get that all, all the time, and I love me some Papa Murphy's. Well, Mike, let's start talking some football. And over the weekend, we had the Pro Bowl. You, you said know, we talk talked football. a little bit. <laughs> Not whatever that thing is. <laughs> yeah, whatever that uh yeah, I don't know. I have no name for it. I can't be clever tonight, Mike. But did, did you watch the Pro Bowl? No. Nope. Did not. I saw I didn't even watch the highlights like on Sports Center. I, I don't know who won. I know mm -hmm. that Trayvon Diggs picked off Mac Jones because Cowboys Twitter had that, and that Micah Parsons sacked Patrick Mahomes. Minus that those two things. I didn't watch it. I don't, it's not football. It's Nothing related to football. It's nothing close to football. It's I don't watch it. It's terrible. I actually watched. Oh, sorry. I, you know, I watched the highlights last night, and it was. Uh, I guess it was. If you want to say this, it was worth seeing. But it was pretty cool to see Trayvon going up against Diggs, like for for a route. You know, he didn't end up catching the touchdown, but I thought that was pretty cool overall. Though, when you know, looking at them attempting to or pretending to go after a tackle and stuff like that, it was. You know, you and I didn't miss very much. No, wait, the way you said it, so Trayvon Diggs was the wide receiver? Yeah, Trayvon was playing wide receiver snap, oh, and Stefan cool. covered him. That's cool. Yeah. That's that pretty cool. cool. I'm surprised I didn't see that. Maybe I saw it, and I just don't – I I wasn't paying attention enough to notice. I was surprised because I actually had to – I watched it on YouTube. I'm like, I'm surprised nobody on Twitter was talking about this. Yeah, because because I saw the other two plays, but I don't. If I saw that one, maybe I thought my I just slipped it in my mind, and I thought Trayvon mm -hmm. was just guarding Stephen Diggs, and I didn't really. I was like, oh okay, and didn't really pay attention because I don't remember that at all. You know, I don't think you know. I think a lot of people feel the way that we do about the Pro Bowl, Mike. If if you could change something about the Pro Bowl to make it better, what what would you change? Uh. I would make it a NFC versus AFC skills competition. So, mm -hmm. like, okay, so, like, you have, for an example, quarterback, longest pass at the accuracy one and one other one, like a mobility plus accuracy plus deep or whatever. And then yeah, each yeah. of the three quarterbacks, you can only do one for each one on one side. So, like, AFC would do Josh Allen for the deep ball uh, or Patrick Mahomes or whatever, and then – you know, NFC would have to try to match them, and then you get points for who, whichever side wins. 
And then I just mm-hmm. do that for every position. You find a way to do it for whatever, for O-line. You find a way to do it for uh, for wide receiver and running back. And then you do mm-hmm. something like that. And, um, and that's how I would do it. More of a skills competition because then there's no real chance of anybody getting hurt. It's, mm-hmm. But it's more fun. Like there's real competition. Like the problem with the Pro Bowl is it's not real competition. Like if you made it a skills challenge and put money on the line for it, Josh Allen's yeah. going to throw the ball further than Aaron Rodgers. You know, they're they're actually going to try to defeat each other and and get a point for their team. Uh, so yeah, I would I would do something like that. Yeah, Mike, for me, I would actually change a couple of things. And one would be I'd like to see them adopt the all-star weekend format that the NBA has. You know, kind of like what you were saying is, you know, maybe on Friday night they have like a rookie versus sophomore game. And then on Saturday we could do that skills challenge that you were mentioning and then, you know, the dodgeball game. But then, of course, on Sunday I have the main game, but, you know, maybe add these changes. Let the uh, leading vote-getters from the AFC and NFC be captains, and then they can pick their own teams. And instead of tackle, maybe make it flag just because at least, you know, nobody's getting hurt and they could still be fun and competitive. They could maybe play at a faster speed. And again, nobody's getting hurt. And off, and you know, what, what I would think would be the biggest change of all is instead of playing before the Super Bowl, play after the Super Bowl like it used to be. Yeah, I agree. Just let that week be about the Super Bowl. The Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl could be after because then a lot of people watch it going, okay, this is all the last thing we're going to get before you know, next season. So they watch it, but having it right there between like all those great playoff games and the Super Bowl upcoming, it's just like a drag. How nice would it to see it like maybe be played in June where it's like the worst month of the off season. And it's like, we get a little taste of football. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, I don't know how many people would be in shape for it. Yeah. You know, that would be, a, that would be a bit of a challenge to have it that far out, but it would be nice to have some, fo- you know, some football of some sort in that month. Yeah, I don't. I wonder if they're gonna have if they have any leagues going. That you know how the XFL is going or Canadian or whatever. I wonder if they have anything in between and how good a ratings those do. Apparently, uh, my, my father-in-law. T- we were talking the other night, and they're bringing back. Is it the uh, was it the CFL? I thought he said they were bringing back or one of those leagues. So you know, at least we'll have, we'll have something to to keep us distracted at least. Well, you can see how much I watch it. I don't I have no idea. They could already be going or whatever. I watch, I don't even watch college because I think it's inferior like product. I don't much watch much college football because <clears throat> I, if I'm going to watch football, I want to watch the best play it. So, you know, I, I, I just, I don't watch a lot of college. I don't watch a lot of Canadian or XFL or any of that stuff. What about indoor, indoor football? No. And no, I don't watch the girls one or anything. Oh like God, that. lingerie football or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of guys don't watch that for the football reasons. You know, yeah. I'm not. I'm not on that list. Yeah. Fine we'll if you on. do. No, no. Yeah, do you? Nothing wrong with with admiring beautiful women, right? Yep. Well, moving on here, Mike. Uh, you know, what were your thoughts on Dak electing not to play in the Pro Bowl? I think that that means that injuries to him were a bigger issue than he let on, you know, because that's the kind of thing that he would typically do, go to the Pro Bowl, spend it with CeeDee Lamb, stuff like that. And this year it's like, you know, fatigue on that leg. You know, it takes a little bit to come back from an injury like that. Um, You know, it typically takes a year from a bad leg injury like that to really fully come back. 
and you could tell that he wasn't running enough. Like the coverages that that teams were running, they knew he he didn't want to run the ball. You know, uh, we've seen that that breakdown of Warner that we uh, Kurt Warner that we talked about, where the middle linebacker was just jetting off towards CD Lamb right when Zeke would flatten go out on the side. You know, in a route, he would jet towards CD Lamb on the curl because they knew the play. And they knew Dak wasn't going to run there, and they weren't going to adjust anything. So, uh, I th- I think injuries were a big issue with you know after that calf strain, uh, and that's why we saw the such a steep decline from how excellent he was the first six weeks uh-huh. to, to the end of the year where he was just you know solid above average quarterback. Yeah, I, and I'm happy that he did it because not only did I think he needed a physical break but probably a mental break from everything from the year prior then the offseason and then the season itself you know I'm glad that he he took that time away honestly I agree 100% take the time off it's it's about you got a window here you legitimately have about a three-year window with a nice young team and a good quarterback and if you can get your offensive line set back and maybe you know get one more piece to help you in the run game, you have a legit chance to to make a run these next couple of years. So do everything you can to prepare for it. Absolutely. You know, a story that was dominating Pro Bowl weekend, Mike, were Stephen Jones's comments about Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence. You know, what were your thoughts on those? It just shows that we don't our GMs are bad. Jerry uh, Jones and and Stephen Jones don't are just not good front office football people they aren't you know uh and maybe when they had no cap uh and jerry jones was winning three super bowls they were good because he'd spend what he needed to spend but now that there's a cap they're they they're bad one they're bad at manipulating the cap they're they're just bad at it you know they're not as good as other teams at manipulating the cap to go ahead and sign a guy or two that could put you over the top you know even if down the road a couple of years you got to make moves to to get under and stuff, you go all in one or two years, especially these next two or three years. It's, it's the time to make that move. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows they're they're really bad at getting big contracts done. Tank cost them money. Dak cost them money. Zeke cost them money because when they well Zeke held out right away, so he there was really nothing they could do. You know, it's not like they waited on him. But the tank one waiting cost them a ton of money. Dak waiting cost them a ton of money. Like they they are just bad at that stuff. And they're and like I said, they're bad at knowing when to go all in. You got a window right here. The Rams mm-hmm. are in the Super Bowl because they went all in. And and right. a couple of their moves I would not have done. But still, they're there. And if they win it, then they were right. You know, they they you you. This ain't a, you can't if you get a chance of winning a Super Bowl, you take it. You don't hope that you're in it for three years. You go for it for this one, you know. So hopefully they learn a lesson from that. Yeah, you know, Mike, me and myself, I was actually bothered, you know, not just bothered, but very, very bothered by those comments. Um, the thought of losing both Amari and Demarcus Lawrence this year is, is very scary to me. Yes, it's Here's the thing, and I'm going to come across as the guy as I always do. If if we lost Tank and Amari, it's not doom and gloom for me. The offense is really good. If you told me we we cut or traded Cooper and we were able to bring back Cedric, Michael Gallup, and uh, and Turner for the same 
you know, 12 to 16 million it would have cost to bring Cooper. I understand that. I get it. You get two special teams players, you get more depth. Uh, Gallup's a 1,206 touchdown receiver once already in his career. CeeDee Lamb's had over 1,000 yards now. You know, he's going into year three. He's going to have to get paid soon. I would understand that move. And Tank's over 30. He's been injured a lot. The defense was much better with him, but they were still pretty solid without him. I understand both moves, and, and I think that you could win with both guys gone. But I don't want to do that. Like, yeah. I would rather at least keep one of them. So, you know, it, it just makes it tough. You know, of the two, who would be the bigger loss in your eyes? As of the team right now, with no Gregory and no real linebacker that allows us to move Parsons over, I'm going to go uh, tank would be the bigger loss. Um, he's also the worst contract, though. That yeah. that's what makes it tough. You know, um, Cooper would be a big loss, but I mean, you have CD Lamb. You drafted him for a reason. He's he's a he's a high end uh, uh, receiver going into his third year. It should be his breakout year, typically for receivers. Before you know, recently with the Justin Jeffersons and uh, and Jamar Chases go going crazy in year one. You know, typically year three is when a receiver really makes a big leap. So it would hurt, but you can make easier moves to replace Cooper than you could to replace tank with how the team is assembled. Now, now you sign Gregory and, and you, you know, you bring back curse to be a linebacker safety. And, you know, then you go into the draft and you can go, okay, yeah, tank makes more sense. Parsons might be able to be a defensive end with Gregory. Maybe they bring back Armstrong, you know, but as of right now, tanks, my bigger loss. I, I, I don't trust the team. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, Mike. It's Lawrence for me as well. If, if we lose both Lawrence and Gregory, our defensive line will be in, in big, big trouble. And they, they were the defensive line was our strength last year. So, to you know, I, I, if we were to keep Tank and we lost Gregory, I'd, I'd feel pretty, still feel pretty good about our defensive line. But to lose them both, and I would still, I'm not sure how how good I would feel about it if we were able to bring back Gregory, but we still lost Tank just because of what all Tank can do. Yeah, they 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 would need like I like Basham, I like Golston. Um, I would I they need to have definitely one of Gregory Tank. Let me ask you, what if uh, what if it was what if they could get Gregory and uh and um Dorrance Armstrong back, but they had to cut Tank to save the eight million. I'd feel good because of what what we saw from Dorrance Armstrong last year, giving him some more snaps, and then another uh, you know a year with Gallimore hopefully starting the season. Osa, you know, get being a year back in the league, and and with Golston as well, and hopefully maybe adding another uh, piece to the defensive line in the draft. I feel pretty good about Dorrance and Gregory as our starting defensive ends. Yeah, and then being able to bring part the the pressure Parsons could bring uh, yeah. at at times would help you there, and then Basham is a pretty solid defensive end. I like him as a backup. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind that. If they brought back Gregory and Dorrance Armstrong and let, you know, had to make a move with Tank, I, I would be okay with that. You know, it's a scary thought to think about all the guys we could lose off the defensive line. Yeah, I know. I just, I man, I just, I just think it's different when you got a guy like Parsons. He's just so, so good. Uh, you, you know, Basham – Basham, Gallimore, uh, Osa, 
And uh, I don't even know who would be out there right now. Chauncey Golston is not a scary line, but uh, I just feel like the front, the front sevens got to be piecemeal right now. We got to see what they're going to do. Is if you bring back Armstrong and Gregory now, I'm like, okay, good. But if not, you got to work the draft for an edge for sure. Even if you're keeping tank this year, because he's over 30 and he's a huge cap hit and he, and he, and it starts to get to where you can cut him easier after this next season. So uh, edge is probably going to be pretty important in this draft. Absolutely. Well, Mike, if it were up to you out of Amari and Loris, who would you keep? I would keep Amari. I would restructure him. You can still save $12 million, uh, and I don't mind. He's he's a young receiver still. He's like he's a couple months older than Calvin Ridley, which everybody wants to give a first-round pick for him. Like, I love Calvin Ridley, by the way, but, I mean, you got to pay him a ton of money in a year anyway, so it makes no sense. Yeah. Restructure Amari, move his money. I have no problem paying him the money the future years. I think he's the number one wide receiver. I think Cooper's problem was more – about the game plan of Dallas and the non-scheming of uh, Kellen Moore to like, hey, no matter what, the first reads Amari Cooper right here. Like, no matter what you see pre-snap, let's see what he does and then move. You know, it's more of a, hey, whatever they show you, take what you can get. And you end up with a lot of check downs that way, uh, which is what happened this year, you know, if, if teams are playing that shell that they were. So, I think I don't think Amari's problem is a dip by Amari. I think it's a dip in uh, in uh, game philosophy and planning. Yeah, I would agree with you there, Mike. But for me, I, I, I'm going Lawrence. You know, our de- our defensive line needs a veteran presence, and without him, we wouldn't have one. I just think to lose him and Gregor would be too much. Even to lose him, I'm still not feeling great unless I knew that we were bringing back both Gregory and Armstrong and adding another piece, maybe in free agency or in the draft. As much as I love Amaria, I think our team would take a bigger hit losing Lawrence. I just go back to last year when we had a inside linebacker and Tank breaks his foot, Gregory gets suspended, Dorrance Armstrong hurts his hamstring or whatever, and they were like, all right, Terrell Batson on one side, I guess we'll bring in, you know, Parsons will just have to move him to defense. Man. And he just, he just dominates the world. So I just, I don't know. I just think, linebacker would worry me then but i think in the end even if you start if you had to get totally different people and you started with basham and parsons as your defensive ends parsons is just so good that it it's it's your linebackers are gonna be bad you need to like sign one and maybe use the first two picks do nicobe dean and chad uh muma uh, uh you know as your linebackers but I just think when you have Parsons, you can survive at the edge position next year. I think that's the beauty, though. It's that if you're if you have a guy like Tank or if you have a guy like Gregory, and you can move Parsons around as like the chess piece, that's an advantage. But when you're moving him out of need, then you have that void at linebacker. It's like, man, what's going to happen now? I agree. That's a, you would much rather free him up to just be an inside linebacker but one that could do whatever the hell you need them to in any friggin' play. Mike, with the with the name drop of Chad Muma, you think he's going to be a second-round pick when it's all said and done? Yeah, yeah, he'll be a, he'll be a second-round pick. He's, he's Sean Lee-ish. He's, he's just so – it's, it's, a, it's a thing of philosophy. 
So my I love uh, uh, Damon Damon Clark, Clark from LSU. Yeah. Super raw, gets fooled a lot, misdirection fools him right now. He doesn't always see it, but he is uber wingspan, uber speed, can edge rush, like ticks the boxes that says possible Micah Parsons if he puts it all together, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Chad Booba ain't got his length. He hasn't got his strength. He hasn't got his speed, but he, he'll beat everybody up here. Everybody. Yeah. You know, he sees it first. He studies better. His instincts are excellent. He's a very good tackler. He's not a power shed guy, That's which is Sean Lee too. But, he, but he's a great run player, a tackle machine. And so with a guy like Parsons, as much as, my God, if you got the right coach with Clark and you had Clark and Parsons, oh, my Lord. But I think I would go Chad Muma because I already have the freak in Parsons that could do all that other stuff. Get me the guy that goes, Hey Parsons, he's going to do this right here. And then you're like, Oh my Lord. Like, you know, that's that it's, it's a tough because I believe Dan Quinn would go Clark. They like guys with length. He's probably the longest uh, uh, linebacker in the draft. They like versatile guys. He could edge rush. He can, he has speed. He has wingspan, you know? So I think Dan Quinn would take, Damon Clark, I think the scouts would take Muma. So it'd be interesting if that came a thing at 56, which way they would go with that if both were available. Yeah, thankfully, there it seems like this this draft class is linebacker rich, maybe not so much with like the freaks, but at least with good talent, some some day one starters in this in this class that you can find in the third and beyond. Wouldn't surprise me if they used one top hundred linebacker and one day three linebacker. Wouldn't shock me at all. They need a lot at that position. Yeah, that that will be key for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, Mike. So you know, if we lose both Lawrence and Amari, are there some guys in this draft that you think could offer the same production? You know what it is 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 I don't I don't think it's as much draft as I think that. Like, C.D. Lamb should be able to do what Amari Cooper does. Now, I know last year he had more yards and everything, but understanding, like, he should be the guy that defenses go, okay, we got a key on him, like they did with Cooper. Mm-hmm. And then it's about getting someone to replace the the Gallup and Lamb production, like a Turner or Cedric Wilson. Maybe you could draft to replace there. And then Tank, the idea would be bring back Gregory, and then you need somebody to replace Gregory's production. Do you bring back Armstrong? Do you draft someone there? So uh, maybe you put Parsons at defensive end more and you draft a linebacker. So that's the thing is they have so many free agents that it's hard to make a judgment on that because what are they going to do? If they bring back Curse and LBE and uh, and Gregory and Dorrance Armstrong, well, then that changes your, your draft up on what you need. If they get rid of Amari, well, now wide receiver becomes more than defensive and a linebacker because look what they re-signed and look who they let go. You know, Gallup mm-hmm. and Amari Cooper are gone. Now you better use a top 56 pick on uh, on wide receiver. You know what I mean? So it's just until they start <clears throat> re-signing a few guys, it's too tough to know their angles that they're going to have to take in the draft. Yeah, and no, I'm kind of starting to get a vibe. You know, we'll, we'll discuss definitely discuss this later later in the offseason. But 
that this is going to be uh, a draft where we target a lot of needs. Yeah. And that kind of scares me a little bit, you know? Yeah, me too. This feels like one where they won't do their job in, in, in free agency to make sure that there's not holes and, uh, and they'll go in needing a left guard, needing a linebacker or needing an edge. And then if the board doesn't fall right, you, you know, you look ahead and you go, well, there are a lot of linebackers late. So even though, even though this insert name here is available, we better go with this other spot because we need that more and it's not dead. And then the guy you get's not as good. And then the guy you got later is not as good. So you mess yourself up. Right. Yeah. That's a scary thought, Mike. We won't get too much into that because that, that actually could be an entire episode on its own. Yeah. That's terrifying. Like I said, until they start signing some people, just it's too much to panic about right now. Yeah. You know, Mike, uh, some other Cowboys news over the weekend. It's Kellen Moore's going to be coming back. You know, this is back-to-back seasons where he's been a, a hot name for a head coaching gig. Are you starting to think that maybe he might not be head coach material? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it isn't just that he didn't get a job, but it's like, who else didn't get, like, Eric Bieniemy didn't get a job again. Yeah. So he's going to be a candidate next year. Uh, uh, Sean Payton. It's probably going to be back in the league next year. There's another job taken if if someone's fired. You know, uh, there's new OCs that came in, like the Niners won this year that got one, That the Colts defensive coordinator that got one. So every right. year there's going to be a new group of people that are going to come in open for head coaching jobs. So, you know, maybe, they, maybe Dak's resurgence – in a year, you know, a year off of that injury and everything, and he's back to the first six weeks and pulls that off for a full season, maybe that opens more back up. But yeah. right now it doesn't look great for him. He interviewed plenty, which is good. But, man, after that first six weeks, he just seemed like a lock. And now, I don't know, Doug Peterson got a job before him. Like, tough, Kellen Moore doesn't strike me as a leader of men type. You know, I just I don't see head coach when I see him. I see an offensive genius, and maybe that's what he should, you know, kind of continue to work on that craft. And, you know, once he has a little bit more success and proven, then he could take another chance to be a head coach. But I think he's still got got some work to do as an OC before he he takes that next step. Yeah, that's the uh that's one of the things is if you notice in a big game, sometimes the offense comes out flat. That could be a reflection on the OC too. Like, you know, I know the head coach, but offensive coordinator can get that offense going and ready to go. And, you know, unfortunately it it didn't happen in the big games. You know, Mike, shout out to our guy, uh, Frankie Kenneth. He left a couple of comments here. He said, uh, I'm keeping my expectations for the season quite low. I won't fall for the hype this year. I think that's a common theme with Cowboys Twitter right now. And then uh, also he said, if Sean Payton goes to TV, He's likely off the market for several years. I don't, I don't see him doing just doing so for just one year. You know, I, I mean, with the relationship that he has with Jerry, from what I'm hearing, I think if he got a chance to coach the Cowboys, he would immediately take that job and leave TV. If Mike McCarthy doesn't win a Super Bowl next year, Sean Payton's going to be the head coach here. Can you he, imagine he's if, on a ten-year deal TV? He's going to coach Cowboys. Can you imagine if we, uh, you know, going into the 2023 season, we have Sean Payton and Eric Bieniemy and hopefully Dan Quinn, you know, that coaching staff, dude. Ooh, 
I just like to say on 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 Frankie's other comment, I'll I'll say it just like I I told uh, Wedge Busters uh, mm-hmm. yesterday when he was talking about Dallas. It's gonna be the quarterback. If if the quarterback comes back okay from injury and he's the guy from the first six weeks, line him up, line him up in the in the playoffs and let's see what happens. Because if that guy shows up, we're gonna walk the NFC East, and yeah. then it comes down to is Green Bay. Uh, do they have Aaron Rodgers? How's Rams again this year? Or is is Seattle back to form? Uh, are the Niners back? <clears throat> Line them all up. If I got Dak from weeks one to six, I'll I'll be you know happy and ready to go. If it's not, then yeah, I'm going to be worried about the team for sure. You know, there's not many too many players that I believe in more than I believe in Dak, and I know that if when Dak when you have a guy like Dak, he's always going to give you a chance. My concern is is knowing that Mike McCarthy's on the hot seat, not knowing the what this offensive line is going to look like, knowing Zeke's a year older, not, you know, the possibility of losing Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence. I'm kind of getting some, almost some like 2010 vibes with this team. You know, Wade Phillips last season with with the Cowboys, you know, we, we know what happened there. That, that's the kind of vibe I'm, I'm getting early in the offseason. But, you know, I, I tend to panic a little too early. You're the, you're the calm, cool, and collected one of the two of us, Mike. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't get up and down too much like that. I was talking to Dan about that, you know, before, because he's so, he's so down right now. And I'm like, man, I wish I can get angry with you like that. I just don't, it doesn't work for me because you just don't know year to year. What if in the, in the draft, if you hit another Parsons, you know, type, and if you, if you do another lamb digs or hit a Parsons or something, say you get a left guard, that's just Quentin Nelson. I mean, it's just if if you line that up, it's going to be hard to stop that offense, regardless, because you won't be able to play that coverage because we'll run on you. And, and it, you know, I just don't get up and down like that. I will say this does have the feel of a toss away year, though. It really does. I mean, nobody feels confident in Mike McCarthy. All of us are waiting for Sean Payton. If you want to talk about contracts, I'm sorry, but Tank and Zeke after this year have very cuttable contracts, which will open up space for you. Mm-hmm. Um, Amari, depending on what they do with the restructure, is cuttable the next two years. You know, so it, it you know, uh, Tyron Smith, you know, is what, another year away maybe? Right, you know, right. it, it does feel like this year is a transition year mm-hmm. that if they, if they hit enough, could be a contender. And if the quarterback's good, but it does feel legitimately like a transition year. Yeah, and you you hate to to feel have feel have that feeling just because the window is is only so big, right? I mean, you only have so many opportunities, and you just signed Dak, and you had, you know, you might have just lost your best opportunity this year. So to think that we have a we might lose another one, it's it's pretty scary. Three year window, I believe they have. If if the quarterback's right. We got a three-year window right here. Get a get another get a Jordan Davis type. However, you got to get him to help you plug the run and fix the O line, and you could you can make a run for the next three years. Mike, I'll definitely take your word for it, sir. I I, I like your optimism. Uh, so you, you know, know, yeah, yeah, stay level-headed. Um, the the coaching opportunity that that Moore lost, you know, ended up going to the uh, gentleman from the San Francisco 49ers, uh, there for the Miami Dolphins, and you know, 
we know that Brian Flores got let go. If you were the Dolphins, would you have kept Flores, or did you think it was time for a change? I would definitely have kept Flores. I, I thought he was an excellent coach. I didn't like the way he handled Tua as a rookie. I just I think you want your rookie to be in those situations at the end. It builds their football character. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in his mind, he's trying to win. And when you look at what's happened since then, I understand his mentality, you know. Um, I, I'd have kept him, though. I just I, He seemed like a good coach to me. Just what I've seen so far with uh, what he did, with what talent he had and how his defense played and everything, I liked him. But apparently, you know, for what Miami said, he was kind of a lot to deal with. So uh, it, does that have to do with, you know, wa- them wanting him to lose as, as you know, has been reported? Maybe yeah. that's it. But, you know, it just it's I would have kept him. I think Flores was was a good coach. Yeah, I agree. I thought for what the hand he was dealt, he did quite a, he did a really good job. But yeah, like you, I think he could have handled the Tua situation a lot better than he did. Yeah, I don't, I don't like taking your rookie out. Like, if he, no, he needs to learn how to play. You're, you're basically, you know, telling him you don't believe in him. Like, and he's put you in position to win those games, and then you take him out at the end and put somebody else in. I, I don't like that. You know, and just in his defense. Uh, and the offseason, you know, this past offseason, it was reported that Tua said that he he didn't know the playbook well enough, which I really was surprised by that. So, you know, maybe Brian Flores was, you know, he had sounds like he had reason to do what he was doing. I'm not, I'm not saying it was. I just I'd rather leave my guy in there and see if he can make a play. It's Absolutely, a rookie. Yeah. man. I want to I want to when you now if he's out there getting killed by a bad offensive line, that's different. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't feel it was that way with Tua. I felt it was like. We can't win this with him. Let's throw in uh, Fitzpatrick, you know, and and I'd rather just play the kid, you know, a first round pick, fifth overall, and see what he's got. You know, those late game situations can be so vital for the the career of a young rookie running back because I mean, run, young rookie quarterback because it can be a real big confidence boost, but also gives you that late game experience where it's like you can learn from your mistakes and you know knowing that your your coach trusted you that. I mean, that, that says a lot. And you want to talk about a confidence killer. Forget not getting it done. Hey, I'll get better next time. Yeah. Saying you don't even, we don't even want to give you the opportunity to do it. That is a confidence killer. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe Miami didn't make the right choice, but you know, another story came out. Of course, we know that uh, Brian Flores, you know, shared that, had that text message exchange with with Bill Belichick, and then he he later reported how the owner of the Dolphins was trying to bribe him into losing games to get a better draft pick. You know, with all those things coming out, do you, do you think that Brian Flores will ever coach again in the NFL? No, you can't give away the seat. You can't tell them the aliens are are out there, and we know it. You know, you yeah. can't you can't give that type of info away. Uh, you know, it's just how it is. So he'll get Kaepernicked. Um, I, as a head coach, I do think somebody will bring him in as a coordinator and he'll be a very good defensive coordinator or he'll go to college maybe, but as an NFL head coach, I think it's very unlikely he, he will be there. Now I'd be surprised if any, but if any team was willing to bring him in in any capacity, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I, I think somebody is going to make him a, a coach of a certain unit, maybe build up to a coordinator, but the taking over, leading the team, no, nah, he's not going to get that. 
Yeah, unfortunately not. You know, uh, Mike, here we are with a uh, finishing up here. That this kind of snuck up on me. Actually, I think I might have messed up here on the uh, the show sheet here, Mike. So bear with me, guys. You're on um, now. You know, coaches uh, getting the same opportunities. Yeah, you know, Mike, we're we're, we're kind of getting a little bit more serious than we usually do here. But if um, you know, what is it? Why do you think coaches of color and different ethnicities don't get the opportunities of white coaches? All right, I'm, I'm going to look at the notes because I want to make sure I say that right because I'm not the race that doesn't get – I get the opportunities. I'm that race. Like, I get the opportunities that they don't. I get the uh, the privilege that they don't in, in situations. So uh, I don't – I normally don't talk on stuff like this. Paul knows it's really not my thing. But I think um, there's levels of racism. Now, I'm, I'm sure there's some owners – they just won't do it because they're like, I'm not going to have a black head coach. Like that kind of like that bad. Like I don't that care stupidity. what they do it. Yeah. Yeah. The stupid ones. I'm sure there's some, even if it's only one or two, I'm not saying 20 of the 32 owners, but I'm sure there's a couple that are like, I'm not going to have a black coach. Don't matter. It's not going right. to happen. Okay. Then there's like unintentional ones. Like it's not really racist, but like they, they pick people from their circles. Exactly, they have yeah. white friends. They talk to, you know, their, their people are white. They don't, they don't have the connection to the minority community. So when it comes to something as important of a job as the head coach of their football team, mm-hmm. they go in it like I'm, I'm looking for this and they don't think of it. They're not thinking of it as I don't want a black person. They're thinking of it as this is what I see that's comfortable. And it may be even unconscious to them. Mm-hmm. But it's still like a level of racism, like yeah. just not like a malice to it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, I don't think they see it and go, it's not like I don't want my daughter to date a black, like, you know, there's no, no uh, Sterling. or evil behind it, but yeah. it's still in the mentality. It's still a a thing that's in there, even if it's unconscious or not, not uh, meant to be to hold someone else down. You know, right. not doing it to do that, but but they are doing it in the way they go about their hiring and their and their thought process. So, um, you know that that's how it is for me. They, you know, there's it's just it is what it is. They, there's just not enough people that are minorities that get to make the decisions, and then they would see their people that they connect with. And more of them would get opportunities. There's just not a lot of them that have the ability to put that perspective in like like white people like me, myself, have that privilege, you know. And even, even though you're Basera, because of your look, you would even get more, you know, just because you do, you know, you look like a white dude. You know, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. So it just, it's... I think that's what it is personally. That's my opinion. But, you know, maybe take the opinion of people that deal with that more than me. But that would be my commentary on it from my perspective. Yeah, Mike, you know, going back to your your comment about, you know, your inner circle. You know, we live in a world of it's not what you know, it's it's who you know. 
and we're, we're seeing that now and it's been that way for a long time now i do think that you know we probably do have a bit of a, a race issue probably you know with, with some of the nfl not like all of them like you said probably maybe one or two not 20 but i i, I think it's like you know again you you, you you know the right people. You get opportunities that others don't, and we we're kind of seeing that now. It's not that Eric Bieniemy's probably, you know, a bad person or doesn't have friends in the league, but he just might, he might not have the right relationships, and that's why he he might get these opportunities to to uh, get an interview. But you know, he just he he might not be as liked as as somebody else. Yeah, I I agree. I think Bieniemy has stuff in his past. And that's another thing. Mm, okay, I didn't how know much that. Does, how much does the race play into if it was somebody else that was white, a Gruden or a Manning or something like that that had something in their past? Would mm-hmm. they be held to the same standard that Eric Bieniemy is being held to? Maybe it. Maybe that's a yes. But I mean, is it? You know, is it like well, it's an excuse not to hire him. Where maybe right. if he looked past if it was not an African-American coach or a minority coach that was trying to get that same opportunity. Agreed. You know, looking at the, uh, at the Rooney rule, Mike, do, do you feel that the Rooney Rooney rule helps or hurts minority coaches when you really think about it? Okay. So what I'm going to say is the Rooney rule is great for African-American coaches, minority coaches. If, if it was really done that Properly. way, Yes. It's like a, it's like I say about capitalism. Capitalism is perfect. Capitalism really is brilliant. It makes a lot of sense. Then it's corrupted. Then people put money into it. And, and instead of, instead of being, you know, cool being a millionaire, you want to be a billionaire. And so you do things to make that happen that messes up the capitalist system. And now you have issues. That's how I feel about the Rooney rule. I think if everybody legitimately was like, I'm going to, I'm going to check two minority candidates. I'm going to give them honest shots. I don't know who I'm going to get ahead of time next year. When Mike McCarthy's fired, everybody in the world knows Sean Payton is the choice, Mm -hmm. right? So whoever they bring in for the two interviews, everybody's going to go, Oh, that's bullshit. So if it was legitimately like I'm looking at two African-American candidates first, and they have as good a chance as any to blow me away and win the job, then it would be wonderful. It's the fact that most of the people that are doing it are like, all right, let's get this bullshit out of the way. Exactly. Bring in Marvin Lewis. Bring him in. Yeah, 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 Marvin Lewis. Okay, now we can hire Mike McCarthy like we want to. You know, go ahead. Yeah, you know, and no, I was just going to say in a weird way, Mike, I think it actually hurts and helps. It helps them in a way of at least giving them an opportunity to interview and, you know, giving them that experience. But, you know, like you said, it hurts them in a way that I think some owners interview them out of obligation and that they probably don't take these candidates seriously. It's like you said, let's just get this out of the way. And because we already have the guy that we want to hire, but we we're obligated to hire, to interview these two guys. Yep. That's exa- if, like I said, if it was done truthfully, if yeah. the Rooney rule was was treated in good faith, it would be a great rule for minority. The problem is it's not. It's it's there. Most people are most uh, that are doing it are going in like, okay, we have to get this over with, instead of something they want to do, and giving them the full chance to get the job. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, speaking of the Rooney Rule, Mike, if if you could make a rule, you know, not not the Rooney Rule, but if you could make a rule to level the level the playing field for coaches, you know, minorities, of course, and and, and African American, you know, what would that rule be? The rule for me would have to be that ownership at every level must include a 25% minority stake. Ooh. So like if the Joneses want to own the team, that's fine, but there's got to be a 25% minority ownership. Mm-hmm. And then as, as owners get into minority owners and, and get into the higher ups of that area, their perspective is seen more Their their um, their inner circle is brought in more and that will lead to more ownership uh, uh, or more opportunities for minorities as, as God, I hate, I can't believe I'm going to use this as a trickle down effect. Um, you know, and I, and, and obviously that'll never happen, but if mm-hmm. you're telling me to make up a rule that would have the biggest effect, it would be to get minorities and ownership. And then their circle of people come in and everybody gets used to that circle. You know, everybody in the ownership meets these other people that are in there. They talk to them, they get comfortable, uh, and, and then they know people that that these 25% that have brought people in, they bring people in and you talk to them. Hey, you should see this person and what he thinks and yada, yada. And it, and it filters down. There's a better way to, to say it. It filters down. So uh, like that, that would be fine. You know, for me, Mike, I guess I would kind of have a, a little set of rules, or these were the these would be the standards, if you will. But if a, if a head coach has coached sixty games or more, and he hasn't won a division title, been to the playoffs, won a playoff game, or uh, or does and he doesn't have a record of five hundred or better, I don't think that coach should get another opportunity, another coaching opportunity. So a, a way to bring in some new blood. Maybe not just for ethnic or minority coaches, but for for all coaches. Yeah, that's pretty fair. I don't mind that rule. That's pretty good. Yeah, you don't have to bring them back. Yeah, because we see too way too many recycled coaches who weren't good the first time, the second time, even the third time, and they're getting another opportunity. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, it's yeah, I agree. They have a lot of issues with that. I don't know why either. Yeah, doesn't again. That's just you know knowing the right people, man. Yeah, that's it. People you're comfortable with. Absolutely. All right, Mike, here we are with one word this week, and I know it's still early, but give me one word on how you're feeling about the Cowboys heading into the offseason. I'm unsure is my word. And the reason is the team's team's likely to be much less talented this year. They're just – there's too many free agents they're going to lose. They're going to have – not as talented of a roster and talented players win you a lot of games. So it's, it's hard to replace that. It's going to, if we can't resign J Ron Kurtz, going to be hard to replace him. We, we have to cut tank or Amari Cooper. It's going to be hard to replace them. So you'd think, Oh, we're not going to be as good. The problem is they brought everybody back on the other end. Dan Quinn, Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy, everybody's yeah. back there. So we'll, the peop- the core that stays will them being more in sync and better at the systems that they're running make up for the difference in talent. So yeah, uh, Michael Gallup, Lamb, and uh, and Amari Cooper are better than say Amari Cooper, Lamb, and Cedric Wilson. Yeah. But they get another year in the offense together. So even though the talent's much less, or make it Malik Turner because Cedric Wilson's made a lot of plays for us. 
But maybe the fact that Amari Cooper, Dak, the offensive line, C.D. Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard are all another year in the system, maybe that elevates them past what they were, even though they're a less talented team. So my word is unsure. That is, that's how I am about the, about the Cowboys. I like that word, Mike. That's a good one. You know, for me, it's it's knowing that we could lose both Amari and Lawrence after winning 12 games, knowing the state of other teams in the in the division and seeing the Bengals rise to success this season. Uh, I'm discouraged heading into the offseason, Mike. How can you not be after the way the year ended? Yeah. I mean, they got they were not. I, I get that the game was competitive. The game was not competitive. Kyle Shanahan coached that he game. He could have smoked like 30 if he wanted to. Yeah. And, and Jimmy G kept us in it with a couple of big mistakes, a misthrow and, a, and an interception. And Kyle Shanahan, you know, was conservative and uh, and and kept us in a game that we shouldn't have been in. So, yeah, it, it it's discouraging. Your quarterback, like, had a bad last half of the year. You don't know why. Your offensive line turned to trashola in what seemed like a blink of an eye. Yeah. Um, your offensive coordinator went from let's pay him extra money so he doesn't become Boise State coach to man, I hope he takes the Miami job. Like it just it it totally flipped and everybody's bummed about it. And now you're talking about a loss of a lot of talent. So discouraging is a great word. It is discouraging. Well, talk about a yin yang season when you go from the first eight weeks to the last, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. That 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 first six weeks we were on here, I thought Dak was the best quarterback in the league, and our defense was making enough plays on turnovers, and uh, and you just thought they were going to do good. And, and, man, the Zeke injury early, uh, killing any run game, and then Dak's hamstring or calf, and it just was not the same after that. Yeah. Well, Mike, here we are with your views from the sidelines. We're going to do Senior Bowl edition. What do you have for us this week? Uh, the QBs stink. Uh, I'm not drafting any of these QBs. They're not they're, even Coral. None of them are first round quarterbacks. None of them are really second round. If it wasn't, oh if we were, if we were taking away the value of the position, this is a day three quarterback class. But oh because you're gonna you 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 know raise up the the value of the position, you know, somebody will go, a couple will probably go in the first round and I wouldn't, I wouldn't get any of them. I didn't think any of them had really good uh, senior bowls. Uh, what was the one? Willis? Is that Matt, uh, Malik Willis? Malik Willis. Yeah. That was one that was okay, but it, it wasn't, it is was, basically like, Hey, this one wasn't terrible, you know? So it, it was not good. Um, Travis Jones, Cowboys, Keep your eyes out for him. He is a a one technique that Dallas covets um, because he's a one technique that penetrate that can get you some pass rush. And I'll say that typically I hate those because I don't want a one technique to get pass rush. I want him to not move. I want him to not be able to be moved by people. He's hard to move. So he's one that fits in my narrative of, you can't move this guy in the run game. And no. he's one that Cowboys will value enough to maybe take in the third round if he – I don't think he'd last into the 80s, but if he did, he'd be a guy they need to look out for. Um, the last one is 
uh, and Jeff Cavanaugh talks about this, so I'm not the first one to say it, but when somebody moves in the senior bowl, there's a reason for it. Zion Johnson playing for at center is the example this year. That was done because a team said, hey, I want to see this guy take center snaps because maybe his size isn't as as much as it you know uh, needs to be to be a guard or his length isn't what it needs to be to be a tackle. So let's see what he can do at center. So anytime somebody moves like that or in the combine coming up, when somebody's a corner's doing drills at safety and edge is doing linebacker drills, you know, just know that there's a reason for that, that that's happening. Yeah, I appreciate those notes, Mike. So we'll say that again. Uh, Travis Jones, where's he from? Uh, UConn, I think. UConn, okay. I switched the page. I'm pretty sure he's uh, he's like a big one technique, but he had, I think, four and a half sacks last year. He can get pressure. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to go over him a little bit more now that I know that he's a, he's the type of one technique Dallas has coveted in the past. Mm-hmm. I need to see his length and stuff because now that they have Dan Quinn, even at one technique, length is a, a big deal. We're about to talk about that coming up yes, uh, sir. when we get to our prospects here. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, Travis Jones is a guy that I would look for for Dallas to possibly want on the, on the defensive line. Well, my, you know, so let's just get right to that prospect. You know, I asked you to study Mr. Federian Mathis, defensive tackle out of Alabama. What were your thoughts on him? Link. So Dallas will definitely be interested because if you look at last year's draft picks, they were all like the longest at their position. Like this guy has uh 83 and a half inch wingspan, 34 and five eighths uh, arms, 10 and three eighths hands. He is a length monster and uh, and he can use it with some explosion to disrupt inside. And I think what Dan Quinn would think is I can take this like Chauncey Golston, you know, and they Sean Wright. They weren't like big players at the college level, but he wants to take guys that he thinks he could coach up that have those frames and those tools that he can coach into a big time player. And so he would be one that I would really look for Dallas to consider. Now he's inconsistent for me. He, he plays hard all game long. Like every, every play he's in, he plays hard, but he wasn't in a lot. Alabama rotated him a lot and he was inconsistent. Like he didn't anchor great for somebody for such uh, uh, large arms. He, he has a hard time disengaging, which is just like shocking for a guy with his, with his size and length, you would think he'd be able to stack and shed well, but he did He did it well sometimes and sometimes he didn't. So I understand where Dan Quinn would go, you know, if this guy's there or 56 or whatever, you know, I got to see how that plays out about his, you know, spot. But if he's mm-hmm. there at 56, maybe we get him and I can turn him into just an, a monster inside with that kind of length and, and uh, explosion. But on tape, I would, uh, you know, he worries me a little bit with his inconsistent play when I look at his tools and go, how come a lot of plays he doesn't do this like he should? Yeah. So, but he, uh, as far as eating a double team and run stopping, I mean, how do you feel about that? I don't like it. I don't, I don't, I don't like how he holds up anchor wise for how long he is. And I don't believe he gets off and makes tackles. Oh, the disengaging part. 
Yeah, and so versus the run is an issue, and it really shouldn't be. And that's the problem. Like, his length may lead into an explosive guy that can get you eight sacks a year, which is important. But is it is is it at expense of giving up a lot of runs because he can't get off a block? So with guys of that size, you know, at that position, is it are they the type where they need reps like they need to get in the flow in order to like you know better disengage set anchors and stuff or you know should should they be should they have the physical tools just to be ready stay ready regardless if it's 60 percent of snaps or 40 percent of snaps um i think i think mm, there's only so much you could do if you're a coach and you believe your guy doesn't have the stamina because he played hard there's no question every play he's in he plays hard he's just chicken out a lot and so was Barmore last year. So, you know, maybe that's just a strategy with Alabama. Hey, we got a ton of great defensive tackles. Keep them fresh. And then when they get in the league, they could play more. But um, Dallas is a rotation team. They use a heavy rotation. So I don't think that will bother Dallas at all. Uh, you know, I, it doesn't bother me. I think defensive tackle is hard to play. So, you know, uh, taking on double teams all the time and 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 the way they have to work. I like having three, four guys that could do the job and rotating them out. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Well, we saw the success that our defensive line had with, with that uh, philosophy, keeping guys fresh, and it, it was nice to see. Yeah, I agree. I think the pass rush started to go down a little bit when we started to rely on, like we would use our guys, and then on third downs, you know, Tank would move inside and, and maybe Parsons would come to the edge and blitz. And I think it wore down some of the guys because they were in, like, we always want Gregory, we always want Tank, and we always want Parsons in for that threat of them. But maybe it wore them down a little bit, you know, needing to keep them in because Armstrong kind of outperformed Gregory statistic-wise towards the end of the year, the last few weeks. Maybe it had more to do with Dorrance Armstrong being fresh and Randy Gregory being you know, tired from having to play so much and uh, and then Tank being tired from moving inside and having to take on guards and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's – I like the rotation as long as your your backups aren't worse than your guys when they're tired. That's really bad then. Yeah, hey, Mike, if you uh, – guys, if y'all could just excuse me just for one second, I do apologize. Uh-oh, guys. I can I can pick up stuff here. What do we got? God, I wish we oh Christian Watson. He's I have a a a thing that's been waiting to be published on Christian Watson uh and Jermaine Johnson. Both of them are kind of out of the bag now from the senior bowl, which is a bummer because when I was studying, I caught them and I wanted to get them out before the senior bowl. I got both both of them to the editor before the senior bowl started. But uh, uh, obviously, you guys all know Jermaine Johnson now, the people watching. Uh, Florida State defensive tackle that killed 17 and a half tackles for a loss, 11 and a half sacks, was just a monster versus the run, a good pressure player. Um, that should be out soon. But Christian Watson's the other guy. I read a, a part of me for getting, for forgetting the article. I think it was Draft Scouts had a thing about the best guys coming out of the Senior Bowl. And one of them was Christian Watson. And there was a pro scout that was like, he's 6'4", 208, and he's the fastest guy out here still. 
Like he legitimately is a four, 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 five player. And his his it's hard to to get his skill set because he's six four to six five, depending on how you know we don't have his official measurements. Uh he's a big dude at over 200. His catch radius is crazy. He's great at going up and plucking the ball. But then he has the speed to where he kick returned. He did some Ty Montgomery out of the backfield type stuff. He was in the slot all the time at North Dakota State. Um, but he was against the North Dakota State competition too. So that plays into it. So him going into the senior bowl and showing uh showing his athleticism and how he stacks up to the, the better players, I think is gonna propel him up out of the range where Dallas will want to get a wide receiver, maybe, or get one like him from a smaller school. But he's a guy I want you guys to look for because if he's really good. Remember that I was one of the first ones, that, and uh, and I man, I just he was a big crush uh, for me. So Christian Watson should be coming out soon, and then everybody knows Jermaine Johnson now. So look for those two on Cowboys Wire, and I should be getting Kyler Gordon out soon. A guy that Dallas would look to to be a slot guy. He's over six foot. He's about two hundred pounds on the dot, which Dallas looks for, but he has the skills to play the slot position which would allow you to free up money with either an Anthony Brown or a Jordan Lewis cut. So look for those things coming up guys. Jahan Dotson, you know, he's, he's, a, he's one of the smaller receivers, but he has, he has everything that Amari does, right? Yes. That's we were talking about Christian Watson. Oh, sorry. Who are you? Uh, um, you know, uh, thanks for covering for me, Mike. May I ask you who, who you're uh, chatting up with? Uh, I was just talking with whoever was out there. I was talking about, gotcha. I know how to sell my shit, sir. Cowboys Wire. My articles are coming out. The minute you got away, if there's one thing we've learned is that I can talk. So you can step away for like five minutes and I'll fill the time running my mouth. So that's that's one thing good. Well, forgive me. Uh, you know, I thought you were talking about Jahan Dotson, but man, to get Christian uh, Christian Watson even later, that would be fantastic, dude. He, he's the second round. He's going to be a second round guy. He's the type of guy that has the tools that after a combine where he, if he runs like a four four seven at six four with that catch radius, being a kick returner and a halfback, he can end up sneaking into the first round. I shit you not. Even from North Dakota State, he's just yeah. so toolsy. But I think he'll go second round because the wide receiver class is is pretty stacked. Yeah, uh, you know we're starting to see North Dakota State's giving us some players, Mike. Yeah, they are, and the. The worry is, is are they are those players being successful enough to cause teams to go, oh, see, the school don't matter. Or are they going to look and go, well, Carson Wentz got drafted early and he, you know, he had one, you know, stellar year, you know, that kind of thing. And then you worry about, you know, what's going to be the effect of of uh, of that on the league if the players don't keep not turning out to be good. All right, Michael, you know, uh, since we're sitting here talking prospects, I'll go ahead and give you the prospect. I'd like you to to give me some uh, analysis on for next week's show. I don't know if you have a pen and paper available, but I'll give you a name and the yeah. position and everything. It's yeah. going to be Gene DeLance, offensive tackle from Florida. Uh, I Okay, we'll have to, I'll have to go over my notes, but I've done most O-line. So I probably have notes on him, but that's it's not a great sign that I don't 
remember? Because most of the guys, and I'm like, oh, Cowboys might be uh, a person for for this person. I, I typically keep in my head, but that one doesn't sound familiar, but I'll have something for you next week. Yeah, because uh man, you know, when when I hear when I heard when I was reading over his tools and every scouting report, I'm like, how the heck is this guy like being picked in the 170s? And plus he was part of that Florida offensive line that was, I believe, top five or if not the best offensive line in, in the nation last year. So I was kind of surprised. Yeah, let me look him up and I'll let you know. You know, the the PFNs, uh Dalton Miller, shout out to Dalton Miller. And draw uh, uh, the mock draft, uh, draft, um, draft network, and uh, what's the other one? PFF. I never use, but those things are sometimes a little behind on these. Like Jane right. Johnson was going in the forties, and then by the time the Senior Bowl was over, it was like top ten. <laughs> so you know, stuff will switch quick. So I'll look into uh, Gene Delance, and I'll let you know next week. Yes, sir. All right, Mike. Well, you know, we of course it's Super Bowl week, and a popular, a popular uh, thing to have, whether it be just you know your typical Sunday football game or during the Super Bowl, it's uh, chips and dip. So that's what our top five categories going to be this week. It doesn't have to necessarily be a chip, obviously. You know, whatever you use for that dip. So, Mike, start us off with your number five. Number five is going to be a pairing of uh, uh, like a chili cheese dip. So you make homemade chili, but then you melt like Velveeta would be a good one. You know, the block, the, the block cheese to Love cut Velveeta, in, dice up, drop yeah. it right in the, the chili and, uh, and then serve that with Ritz, I believe is, is like a special one. Now there's plenty. Oh, really? Oh, I love Ritz with chili. Crush, crush Ritz up in the next bowl of chili you get. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, so good. Trust I've me. I've never even heard of that, dude. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I, I'm a fat guy, dude. I'm a fat guy that cooks. Like, Super Bowl is like a holiday for me, not just for football. Right. Because we know something special. Like, I'll probably be, do Cubanos and, and brine some chicken wings. And, like, we have, like, four or five things we eat, even if it's just me and Mitchell. We'll just, we'll just load it up. Throw it down. At it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for me, Mike, it's going to be uh, queso. And those thin, like really thin tortilla chips that are typically salty, like um, I don't know, you, you haven't been to an Uncle Julio's. I think I also said you. I don't think you said you were familiar with Papacitos either, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. but yeah, they have they have the best thin tortilla chips. Uh, I think you actually, how familiar are you with uh, Chili's? Like even back in the day when it was good. Yeah, I know Chili's. That one I know. The, their type of tortilla chips, I don't know when's the last time you've been there, but they have those really thin ones. Thin cantina style is what they're yes, called. Like cantina. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, those are my, my favorites to go with the queso. But number four on my list, I'm going with the ruffle potato chips, just plain, and the French onion dip. French onion dip. So I have a question. How many of these do you make and how many are you like – I bought French onion dip or I went to the restaurant and got them. Is there any, is there a, I don't want to give away your list, but is there a dip that you make uh, yourself or that somebody makes? Maybe it's not on your list. Maybe it is. If it's on your list, then save it. But if there's one that, that like you make, but it's not on your list, which one is it? One that I make that's not on my list. Um... Do you have one on your list that you make? Yeah, I've got one, two, uh, three. 
Okay, uh, save it. I mean, I make queso, so but you know, maybe that was a little too generic because my favorite queso was probably gonna be like the Uncle Julio's Papacitos type. Um, but man, you know, homemade queso, just get a can of Rotel and Velveeta, dude. You're 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 good, you're good. Seriously, it it, it is really it's amazing how easy dips are. I love chips and dips so much, dude. Yep. Okay, so what's number four on your list? Caramelized onion dip with sour cream and onion chips. Ooh. That, that mixes. That sounds great, dude. Uh, caramelized onion dip is so underrated. Like, caramelizing onions uh, just gives them such a great taste. And then I, I can't – I typically can't have the caramelized onions a little bit in there. So what I do is I caramelize the onions. I take some aside for myself. Then I I have to blend it. Otherwise, if my dad sees onions, he won't eat it. And I'm a good son. So if we're doing a Super Bowl party or something, I want him to eat whatever. So I'll blend it into the dip. And then when I take my dip to the side, then I'll mix in some caramelized onions. So I have that as I as I eat it. Well, what's the base of that dip? Oh, man, I have to go through it on my uh, it's caramelized onions. And then some sort of uh, cream cheese would be in there. Yeah. And I have a, a specific recipe for it, but it's in my cookbook. I would have to look it up. I, I take recipes that I do and put them in a little Disney covered cookbook. It's so like 11 years old, but I don't care. Look at, look at my background. I'm like, a <laughs> so yeah, I, I have a cookbook and it's in there. But I don't, the one that I like, I don't know it exactly. It is one that I have to look up to mm -hmm. get because it's like a, it's a cookbook with like 170 recipes in it. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Anything I make that I like, whether it's, you know, I took another recipe and, and zhuzhed it up or did something like that, I put it in there and I, I make a thing out of it and put it in the little binder for it. So, I'll have to get back to you on that, Paul. I apologize. No, no, you're good. I specific. Uh, so, so what's number three on your list, Mike? Number three is guac and chips, and I make my guacamole. Yeah, yeah, guac and chips is like a – I know it's easy, but if you make good guacamole, it's not – it's it's. There's it's never good. enough if it's good, dude. Yes. It, it just depends on if you make it well. If you make right. it well, guac and chips could be number one. If you mm -hmm. just do basic shit, then you're gonna think it's just a throwaway. If you if you just get guacamole from the plat where you rip the plastic off the top and then dump it oh in a thing, and eat, you know, eh, then it's just like guac and chips. But yeah. if you do it right, it's stellar. If avocados weren't so expensive, I'd probably eat a lot more guacamole. Um, you know, guacamole is not on my list. Spoiler alert! But I mean, it's such an underrated dip, dude. It is, yeah, a. As a person who eats, I'd say at least two, three avocados a week, mm -hmm. expensive. Yeah. So, Mike, number three for me, I'm going with uh, it's it, it can be tortilla chips, it can be pita bread. It's really good with baby carrots, but I love spinach and artichoke dips, sir. Spinach and art, not what I thought you were going with when you first said pita chips and carrots. I did not think really spinach Thomas? and artichoke. Yes, hummus is where I thought you were. You were hummus going. and baba ganoush were were really close to making the list. I actually like baba ganoush more than than hummus, but hummus is up there for sure. I uh, I tried to make baba ganoush once and I hated it, and I, I I think I messed it up. 
but now it's like a thing in my head that I, I like, I won't, I, I try. Yeah. I won't get it. I need to try. The problem is, is when I go out, there's other things that I'd rather have, you know, mm-hmm. and then I'm scared to make it cause it was so bad last time. And I thought I did all the steps right. And I just didn't like it. And so I was like, I was worried about it. So it, you know, but, uh, but spinach and artichoke, I'm surprised that didn't make my, my, uh, my list. That is really good. Guac kind of is the, you know, the, the just opposed to that. Typically you have one or the other really. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, I I was close to having guacamole, but I'm like, okay, of the two, I think I eat queso more. And if I could only have one, I probably would choose queso. I don't know. Yeah. Queso didn't make mine. I don't know how queso didn't queso. I guess queso did. And, and like there's cheese in my onion dip, there's cheese in the chili dip, there's yeah. cheese in another one coming up. So, I mean, there's queso in there, but a straight queso dip didn't make mine, which is surprising. So Mike for uh number two on my list, I'm going with the Ritz cracker. And I don't know how familiar you are with like the cheese balls, but I made, you know, I, I deconstructed the cheese ball and just made a dip out of it one time. And it, I've only had it once since then, but I've had plenty of cheese balls. But that dip became my second favorite dip of all time. Hey, Ritz crackers on the list twice, too. Yes, sir. Love Ritz crackers, bro. So you you deconstructed it. So you took the stuff that would go into the cheese ball, but then melted mm-hmm. it down. I wouldn't say, I mean, you know, softened cream cheese and sour cream and everything and blended it, but gotcha. it was, dude, it was a, it was a, it was a hit with the You're family gonna have too. To send me that. I want to try that. You're going to have to send me the, the, like a, I, I don't need a exact recipe, but if you have the idea of the ingredients, I can figure it out. No, oh, I got you. Yeah, for sure. I still have the, I have the recipe saved in my phone. I probably will be making it this Sunday. Cause man, if you, even if you make too much, dude, it's so good. Like it won't last that long. Send it. Send it to me. Uh, I got you. What's number two on your list? Number two is pizza dip and breadsticks. So okay, this what is, is pizza dip? yeah. So this is marinara sauce, typically pepperoni, fried pepperoni on top, mozzarella mm. cheese baked, and then it's like a pizza. If you use the the breadsticks and yeah. you dip it in there, it's like you're basically eating pizza, but it's a little different because like I like to to get the like fry the pepperoni, get it like real crisp. So you have like regular pepperoni in the sauce uh, and then uh, and then fried on top to give you a little bit of texture. Mm. I'm the watering. Wow. I love it when you get a pizza and you get like, if a pizza place does it right, they get those little burnt pepperonis on there, dude. And imagine you just, you take a stack of the pepperoni, dice it into thin strips and then just fry it in a little oil. And oh it's right on top. So you get like an, a, a, a great abundance of that. Oh, man, that sounds phenomenal. It's so good. That's why it's number two. Oh, so I mean, as far as these breadsticks go, are these homemade? Is this frozen? What are we doing here? You know, honestly, breadsticks, I don't need homemade. You can get the ones. What you do is zhuzh up, you know, the stuff. So you get whatever box ones you have, brush it with butter, garlic powder or garlic salt on it, uh, mm-hmm. salt and pepper, and then bake it. That's it. Easy. You're maybe slide on to over to uh, your spot, Little Caesars, and get that crazy bread, right? I love that. Yes. The crazy bread is good. Olive Garden's breadsticks. I don't care. Oh I, know, God, dude. I know we make fun of it. It's not real Italian food or whatever that, you know, and I'm a food snob. I'll kill me some Olive Garden. I ain't even lie about it. I'll destroy it. 
I, hey, dude, I, I, no shame in my game. I think they have some of their dishes are really good and some are not good, but some of their dishes are actually really good. It's just overpriced for what it is. I agree. 100% I agree. That Zupa Toscana, bro. And the winner, my God. Yeah, it's it, man. Just the breadsticks with anything. The breadsticks yes. I'm in for. Right. All right, Mike, here we are at number one. What's number one on your list? Hummus and falafel. And you guys hey. should have guessed this by how many times on Meatless Monday. I'm like, falafel pita. You know, I, I love falafel and I love dipping it in hummus. And any kind, any kind of hummus, roasted uh, roasted garlic hummus, red pepper hummus, regular hummus. Um, it, it's just delicious. And and the, the, the Daphne's hummus and falafel is probably the main reason I have put on over 10 pounds since I started working there. I just destroyed because I can get away with it on Meatless Monday, you know, and it's it's amazing. So falafel and hummus for me is number one. All right, Mike. So number one on my list, I'm, I'm curious if you've had actually had this dip, but here I'm going with the thicker tortilla chip because this this is a thicker dip, but the thick tortilla chip and some people call this crack dip. Some people just call it sausage dip. I don't know if it actually has a name, but it's, it's cream cheese, Rotel and ground sausage all melted and blended together. And it sounds really plain, but it will it will knock your socks off, sir. If you understand the flavor that comes with cream cheese, the flavor that comes oh in God. the hotel, and right. the flavor that comes with sausage, you could pick I've never had that. And I'm telling you, I'm like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. You should, you should make it this Sunday, dude. Seriously. It's lick the bowl, like lick the, lick the skillet, like get your chip and you're scraping like the last bits off the skillet good. The one thing, uh, the, it's the Rotel chili. Ro yeah, Rotel, like the tomatoes, jalapenos, and onions. Gotcha. Okay. I'm just making sure that it's Hormel chili. Yeah. That's where my mind went. Yeah. The Rotel. Yeah. I could do that then. That would work. So it's cream cheese. The Rotel and then and then sausage. And then what is it like spicy Italian sausage? You can do that. Spicy would be great. I just usually use mild because uh, my wife, she doesn't really care for the taste of fennel. So Italian sausage isn't her thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. You got to brought it up for her. Bratwurst. Oh, I never uh, thought about that, dude. I haven't had a good brat in a while. Ah, so good. We had brats last week. I don't know if I ate one, but I know we cooked them last week. Man, with uh with like a with sauerkraut and the uh spicy mustard. All day, bro. All day. I'm gonna be doing uh cubanos, so I'm gonna smoke uh a pork loin and then I'm gonna make some homemade pickles, little mm. mustard, little Swiss cheese, and then uh panini it. I think that's going to be part of the Super Bowl menu this Sunday. So we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we ranked our sandwiches, but when you build your Cubana, do you have the mustard and the pickles on the same side? Uh, I would probably mustard both sides and then put pickles pickles on – tough. I don't know. Pickles on top or on bottom? Probably under the pork. That way you can – it's it's at the last part where you bite through the pickle. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I do I do the pickles under the pork and I'd mustard probably both sides. I also mustard the pork so that the seasoning sticks to it better. Okay. Cause I can't, man, every time I get a 
the Cubano, man. They put mustard and pickles together, and it's just like, this is all I taste is sour. I don't want to have a Kavanaugh moment, so I'm going to plug this in. <laughs> Kavanaugh. I love it. We're wrapping things up anyway, sir. Yeah, I know. Just it looks like it could be any time. So it's like, I am sitting gone. It clears, yeah, well, it so. might be for, be, before you go dying on us, let the people know where they can find you on Twitter. At CD Piglet, guys, nice and easy. Look how cute I was as a kid. Hold on. Can you see it? Where is it? How do I do it? See me up there with Mickey Mouse, my little brother. <laughs> I'm the I can barely one. I can barely see child Mike, but, you know, I look at my son. I'm like, dude, you're the cutest kid I've ever seen. It's He was so cute. I got to see him today for the first time in a while. Adorable, sir. Six teeth in. Yes, sir, man. It's crazy. Yeah, there's some pictures of me when I'm his age. It's like splitting image. It's insane. I feel bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait. You're 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 12 years away from him hating you half the time. <laughs> oh man, he he I don't know. Sometimes I feel like he hates me because he loves that mama, dude. Yeah, he's gonna be a mama's boy. And it's a boy <laughs> too, so you're gonna be even more upset about it. You're gonna exactly. be like yeah, and great. then watch him become an Eagles fan. No, that ain't no. Come on, dude. Don't end the podcast like that. We were just talking about sandwiches. Oh, you know, we should have that conversation. Like, what would you do if your son grew up to be an Eagles fan or a Giants fan or just didn't like the Cowboys or something? That's why I didn't have kids. (laughs) You can't take those chances, right? Yeah, no, I ain't doing that. I will I will beat my son to death if he's not a Cowboys fan. That's a good place to end it. <laughs> I was worried about getting canceled for the friggin' for the for the talk about Brian Flores, and now I've just murdered my son on 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 YouTube. I would murder a baby if it was an Eagles fan. <laughs> I can assure you, I'm not going to hurt my son, regardless of the sports team that he roots for. Uh, you might be able to find some of his pictures on Twitter. You can find me there on uh, Paul underscore Ryan 15. Uh, I appreciate you guys joining us and we'll see y'all next week.